Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. What I want to talk to you, have we turned this on? Yes? Good. Bless your heart. Uh, filling the gap. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, be looking at verse 4 through 9. Uh, I really hate to leave out the first three verses of that. But uh, that is really just Paul's introduction Uh, And it it, uh, says in verse 1, I can't help it, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. What I'm going to be talking to you this morning about is the call of God. And uh, I realized that that God had a call on my life very early. I I remember as as a very young child, going to church with my parents. Not very often. They made it a couple of times a year, you know, kind of like uh, a lot of people in the world uh, do. They go on Easter and on Christmas and uh, they get the kids up against their will and drag them to church at least those couple of days uh, out of the year. And I remember the Holy Spirit of God moving in my heart and convicting me during some of those uh, days of my young life. But it was not until... My older life, when I was 27, that uh, that God came into my heart and into my life when I surrendered and submitted my life to His call. He showed up in my life in a very precarious situation. Most of you understand and know my history, my testimony that I was saved in a jail cell. And that's been uh, uh, 36 years ago. And I'm, I'm thankful to have served as the chaplain out at the prison here for 25 years and I uh, just retired from that, and now I'm full-time here at uh, the church. But it's an honor to have my protege, uh, uh, Chaplain Kenneth Scadlock, sitting there with Mr. Benja Fusell, and Benja brought him with it. He served uh, with me as a co-chaplain for five years, and now that I'm retired, he's sitting in my desk, and oh, well, it's his desk now, and in my office, which is his office now. And now I'm a volunteer, and I go out on every other Monday night and, and preach the gospel uh, there to the, to the guys in prison. And uh, Mr. Scadlock is filling that position, passing out the Bibles, ordering the materials, doing the death notifications, and all of those things that I did for so many years. And I just want to say thank you for what it is that you do, brother. Big shoes to fill. Well, no, if you're talking about these, it ain't. But uh, for you to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, brother, and what it is that He expects from us, those are big shoes to fill. And uh, I'm thankful for you, proud of you, by the way, and proud for you, and it's an honor to have you here with us this morning. But uh, you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4-9, through 9, and it reads like this, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you in the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we love you. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house with your people to study your word. God, help us to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. We want to give you the glory and the honor for who you are and what you've done in our hearts, our lives, our homes, our families. God, here in this church, and we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The call of God. Do you remember the call of God in your life when God convicted you, illuminated you, regenerated you? I believe that is the call of God. The call of God is when He wakes you up from spiritual death. As long as we are spiritually dead, we have no desire for the things of God. But it is through that calling or illumination of regeneration that wakes us up from our spiritual slumber, if you will, our spiritual death, separation from God that makes us allow, uh, uh, that allows us to realize who we are and, and where we were and what it is that we need in our lives. Our greatest need is not another dollar. It's not another meal. It's not another set of clothes or a place to live, a house over our head, shoes on our feet. The greatest need that humanity has, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth, is to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's only done by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts through regeneration. Certainly, all true Christian experience has its origin in the call of God. If we have a relationship with God, it is not because we sought after Him, but because He came seeking after us. He sought me and He found me at the right time, in the right place, and and uh, moved in my heart in the right way that caused me to bend my knee and to bow my head and to surrender my heart in life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, it reads like this, Whom He called them, He also justified. Now that's talking about uh, the golden chain. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate. Whom He predestinated, He called. Whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, He glorified. And that links of chain from eternity past, for whom He did foreknow, He glorified. That's eternity future. And all of those links of chain in between or the process or the steps of salvation in our lives. Whom He foreknew, He predestined. All of them? Yes. All of whom He foreknew, He predestined. All of whom He predestined, He called. All of whom He called, which is what we're talking about, He justified. Now, there is a call that goes out from behind this pulpit to every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. And I call you to come, give your heart, bend the knee, bow the head, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Does everyone uh, that I'm calling come to the Lord? No. No, but whom He calls. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate. All of them. All of those whom He predestined, He called. All of whom He predestines, or in all of those whom He calls, He justifies. When He justifies, when He calls, He moves in your heart, illuminates, causes you to feel the weight of your sin, and you bend the knee and bow the head and surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And all of those whom He justifies, ultimately He glorifies. As a matter of fact, it says that as though it were an already done thing. He glorified those whom he justified. He also glorified. 
as though it were already done. It is done in the mind of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that I am a finished work in the Lord Jesus Christ in the mind of God? Now, I know that He's still working on me in time here in this world. I have a life to live to the glory and honor of God. And I've got to bring my life under subjection, but under the dispensation of grace. It's finished in the mind of God. We see, ultimately, uh, some characteristics here of this call. And I want you to notice uh, six of them. And uh, first of all, it is the call of grace, which is what I've been talking about. You look again at verse 4 and it reads like this. I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Grace is a gift. It is something that is given by God to us. We don't earn it. When you start talking about meritorious uh, things from God, then you're not talking about grace. You're talking about justice. You're talking about giving you what you deserve because of what you've earned, because of what you've done. But grace is God giving you something that you do not earn because you cannot deserve grace. It is unmeritorious. This grace by Jesus Christ could never come to the response of a human heart. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? We have no desire for the things of God until through the grace of God, He illuminates, regenerates, and wakes us up. And then we see ourselves the way God sees us, which is wretched and poor and blind and miserable and naked and undone, and the weight and guilt of our sin is weighed upon our hearts because of the grace of God. And we bend the knee and bow the head and surrender our lives to His Lordship. What it says in Second Timothy, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. You remember what He said about... Uh, Cain and Abel, and how that uh, the two children were womb mates and uh, they were brothers, and God called one of them by grace and he left the other. And we also remember how it was Esau and Jacob, they were womb mates uh, in the same womb. And uh, God allowed one of them by grace, by election, to be called before the other. As a matter of fact, the older brother was supposed to get the inheritance from God. And yet instead of Esau getting the inheritance, God chose by grace, unmerited favor, and not, uh, actually even against the law uh, of uh, the then Jewish law that God had given them, that that inheritance was supposed to go to Esau. He gave it to Jacob. And it says, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. May I say that if in grace He calls, because that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think of... My sin as being under the blood of Christ. What sin is under the blood of Christ? My sin of yesterday up till now? Yes. What about the sin of today? Did I sin today? Is it already under the blood of Christ even though the day's not over? 
Yes, it's already under the blood of Christ. What about my sins from today throughout the rest of my life? Is it already under the blood of Christ? Well, certainly. How many of my sins were in the future when Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago to pay the price? Every one of them were already in the future and they were already under the blood of Christ. The Lamb of God shed His blood from before the foundation of the world. And it's all by the call of God's grace in our lives. Well, it's not only a call to grace, but it's a call to enrichment. You look at verse 5 and it goes on to say this, that in everything you are enriched by Him. Now, when we talk about enrichment in our economy today, in the world that we live in, and when I say the world, I'm not talking about the dirt ball, but I'm talking about this godless system that we work and live and play and toil in. Uh, their, their, their idea of uh, success and enrichment has a monetary value behind it. It's about stuff. It's about toys. It's about things. It's about dollars. It's about bank accounts and houses and cars and rings and jewelry and, and you know, stuff. It's the enrichment of the world. We compare ourselves by ourselves as to whether we have accomplished or achieved anything in this life or not. But the Bible says, again, in this verse, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So what the Bible calls enrichment is a relationship with God. It's an intimate love relationship based upon Faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So this enrichment comes through knowing God, through knowing Jesus Christ, through knowing the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And having an intimate love relationship with Him day by day. Day in everything we are enriched. It's a new life in Christ. We are enriched with a new value and a new power. You see, it's the, the value of a relationship with God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Old things passing away. All things are new. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. There's a deeper knowledge of God. A clearer vision of the treasure that we find in His Word. Do you understand that there's more gold nuggets in this book than there are in the world, in the mountains, in the banks. Fort Knox can't hold a candle to the value of God's Word when it comes to gold. Uh, certainly we understand the fuller expression of all of these things in our life. Truly, He is a rich, rich man when He is rich in faith, rich towards God. Well, we see the call of grace. We see the call to enrichment. We see a call to patience, patient waiting, waiting upon the Lord. You look again at verse 7. We skip verse 6, but uh, I'll just read. We, we were in verse 5 when it was the call to enrichment. Verse 6 reads like this, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Now, has the testimony of Christ been confirmed in you? What, what does that mean? Well, uh, I mean, I make a profession 
of faith. But the possession of Christ is confirmed by the lifestyle that I live. In other words, a set of lips will say anything. You, you can say you're a Christian. You can go by the name of Christ. But if we're living a life of sinfulness, then we've taken the name of the Lord in vain. That doesn't mean blasphemy and cursing. That means I'm accrediting myself as a little anointed one. Christ is anointed one. Yen is little. So if I call myself a Christian and I'm living like hell, then I'm not confirming my profession of faith by the lifestyle that I'm living. In verse 7 it goes on. Uh, verse 7 says this, So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a call to be patient. You know, we want to run the race and fight the fight. And I know that running a race, you hope to quickly cross the finish line. Fighting a fight, you want to hurry up and knock the guy out. Amen. Nobody wants to continue uh, the boxing match. But this is a, this is a lifelong journey. It's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we have to be patient. Because I don't know. I know that He's coming. I just don't know when. It could be today. I understand what the Bible says about the imminent return of the Lord. That it could happen at any second. And that I should be living my life as though I have my suitcases packed and under the pulpit. And I'm ready to take off. To blast off from behind this pulpit at any minute. And when I leave here, I take my suitcases with me. I'm packed and ready to go in my truck. Even on the way home or I have them in my house, I'm ready at any minute for the return of the Lord, the imminent return of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Certainly, I fear that there's a lot of people where this says, so that you come behind in no gift. In other words, that you do not come behind in a gift waiting for the coming of the Lord. I, I, I have a feeling that there's people that do fall short of that. They are coming behind in their patience. Well, what happens is, is we just grow weary after running the race so far and fighting the fight so hard. And it being one day after another and one week after another and day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I don't know how long you've been running the race, but I've been running it for about 36 years now. I made a profession of faith at seven years old, but I was lost as a duck from the time I was seven years old to the time I was actually, I said 29 a while, 27 a while ago, but I, th I believe it was 29 that, uh, that God found me in that jail cell and saved my soul so many years ago. And ever since then, I have been running this race, sometimes harder, sometimes faster, sometimes with more diligence than at other times, but it's a continuous run. It's a continuous fight, but sometimes we get weary, we get tired of beating our head against that same wall and reading the same book and uh, associating with the same people at the same church. And listen, I, I believe that God calls people to a specific place of worship. I believe He endues them with gifts of the Spirit to use for the glory and honor of God in that specific area of their life, in that specific area of ministry that God has called them, in that specific body of Christ. And certainly, sometimes people come and people go, and people come and people go. 
They move, they have different reasons for carrying on their ministry somewhere else. But as long as God is moving in our hearts and in our lives, we should be patiently running the race that God has called us to run in the place that God has called us to run it. That we might be found faithful upon His return when He shows up. Certainly, uh, the Bible says that uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, we should be thankful that the gift is freely given and bestowed upon God's people in the days that we are living. Certainly, we look back in the Bible and we see what we call mighty men of God that were touched and anointed by the Holy Spirit, such as the Apostle Paul and uh, so many others. But I say there are no mighty men of God. There are only men of a mighty God. And that we as men are frail and we stumble and we falter and we fail. But by the power of God living on the inside of us, we can continue running that race and being faithful to the call of God in our lives patiently. Fourthly, we also see a call to a sanctified life. You look at verse 8 and it says this, Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Boy, that's a mouthful. That I may be blameless. Well, there's only one hope of that. That I might be found blameless because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. That by grace through faith that I might be sanctified. That I might be not only called by grace and enriched by the Holy Spirit and patient in my waiting, but that I might be set apart by the glory and honor of God, for the glory and honor of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. When we bend the knee and we bow the head and we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that setting apart, you see, we set our, there's two types of sanctification. Remember what we're talking about, a call to a sanctified life. Well, God sanctified me, he says in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7, I am the Lord thy God which do sanctify thee, therefore sanctify thyself. When I read that the first time, I don't know how long ago it's been, that smacked me in the face and I said, well, wait a minute, what did that say? I says, I am the Lord thy God that do sanctify you. Therefore, sanctify yourselves. Well, now, which is it, Lord? Do you set me apart? I know what the word sanctified means. It means to be set apart. Do you set me apart or do I set me apart? The answer I got back in my heart was yes. <laughs> to both of those things. I am the Lord thy God which do sanctify you. That means I send the Holy Spirit to illuminate, regenerate, wake you up. I call you, I set you apart for my glory and honor. And because of my sanctification of you, therefore, sanctify yourselves. Set yourself apart for the glory. One of them is positional. That is God setting me apart positionally for His glory and His honor. The second one is practical. That I practically practice setting myself apart for the glory and honor of God, that I might live my life in a way that is pleasing to Him. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 says this, Every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself. You see, practical sanctification is a type of purification that we set ourselves apart from Something, not just unto, we set ourselves apart unto God, but we set ourselves apart 
away from the flesh and the world and sinfulness. It is a call of God to holiness in our lives. Fifthly, we have a call to fellowship. Verse 9 says this, God is faithful. Boy, aren't you glad that even when we're not faithful, God is still faithful to us. Boy, that, that convicts me. I don't know about you, but it burns my heart. It stabs me in the chest with like an eight-inch knife right in the heart when I think about how God has been so faithful, so good to me. And then I look back over my history and I think of how long I've been running this race and certainly I've not stopped. I've not given up, given in, or given out and gone back to my old life. I can at least say thank you to the Lord for that because I believe that if it was up to me, I would have gone back to my old life years ago. But I am kept by the power of God unto salvation. But I also remember all of the faults, all of the sin, all the stumbles that I've had in my life. And even in spite, not because of, but in spite of those things, God was still faithful to me. God undergirded, lifted me up, strengthened, convicted, sometimes chastened, sometimes beat me. Back into submission, surrender to His Lordship. And I am thankful to Him for that. A call to fellowship. That you were called into the fellowship. You look again at that verse 9. That God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that by the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, the Bible says that I'll never leave thee, never forsake thee. That I can always know that no matter where I go, He's there. If He wasn't there before I got there, He's there when I get there because He goes with me, living on the inside of me. He fellowships by the power of the Spirit living in me, with me every day. That's also a fearful thing to me. Because I know that in my life years ago, I've been where angels feared to tread. I used to live a horrid, horrid life. I don't live that life anymore. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I realize that that is, is true. But I also realize that when I choose, willfully choose, to rebel against God and to sin against God, I make up my mind that I'm not going to do that or I am going to do this that I'm doing that even with the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me. And it breaks my heart. We have a common purpose, a fellowship. That, that, is, what, that is what fellowship really means, right? That God has a purpose. And when I fellowship with God, then His purpose becomes my purpose and we are in holy communion together, pulling in the same direction for the same goal and for the same purpose in my life. It's a devotion that binds Christians together with God and with Christ. Called into the service of God. I remember the calling of God in my life. Not only unto salvation. I remember that like it was yesterday. But I also remember the call of God into service. 
I was going to Calvary Baptist Church in Vidalia, Louisiana. I'd been a member there for just a year or so, and, and I'd only been saved for a couple of years uh, prior to that. And, and this book, it was like a ribeye steak. I couldn't get enough of it. I carried it everywhere I was going to the point that I was, I was missing work. I, w- I was in business for myself, overhead door, putting up garage doors. I'd have a stack of doors on my truck. I'd be going and I'd be reading the Bible. I'd have to pull over on the side of the road. And finish because I couldn't stand not finishing the thought. And I didn't want to have a wreck. And then I'd have to go back home and reschedule my installation of garage doors because I was so... I mean, I I don't know how to explain it other than than just engrossed in the Word of God. I, I couldn't get enough of it. And I went to my pastor. I said, Brother, this ain't right. I don't know anybody else that's, that's doing this. And then Bob Applegate came along and me and him became cohorts doing the same stuff together. But, but I, I said, this isn't right. I, I just feel like God has, has got a purpose and a plan for my life. What is it? He says, I don't know. He says, that's going to be between you and God, but don't push it. Don't kick down any doors. Don't try to make things happen. If God is after you, if God has a purpose, a plan, a ministry for your life, He'll reveal that to you in His time. For now, all you do is what He has you doing, which is studying the Word of God and hiding it in your heart that you might not sin against God. My friend, I want you to know that God has called all of us into the fellowship, maybe not into the same service, but into the same fellowship that we have with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God calls us to be students of the Word of God, to study it and hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And that is a fellowship that we have with God through His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Called into service. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 9 says this, that we are co-workers together with Him. We are called into fellowship with Him by the capital uh, is all His own in His great business. For in Him, the Bible says, dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead bodily dwells on the inside of me because His Word dwells in my heart. The Spirit dwells in my heart and we have fellowship one with another. We have a fullness of Christ. Well, lastly, I see we're going to fly this, land this airplane right on time. We have a call by a faithful God. You know, I mentioned a while ago that I am thankful that God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to Him. That is uh, what it basically says here again in verse 9. God is faithful. He's faithful in spite, not because, in spite of. Do you understand? He set His heart, His love, His desire, His affection on you before the foundation of the world. When we were at our worst, in our worst lifestyle of sin, is when He comes to us, illuminates, regenerates, wakes up, draws and saves us. It is a call not only to faithfulness, but it is a call by a faithful God. God is faithful by whom 
we are called. It's a holy calling. And that holy calling uh, implies a serious responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. Required. A faithful God desires, and even more than desires, He demands a faithful people that we be submissive to His Word. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Do you realize that when the Word of God gives us clear commandments, not requests, black ink, red ink, white paper, we understand, we act on the light that God has given us and He gives us more light. But if we don't act on the light that God has given us, if we're not faithful to the Word that God has called us to, then not only does God not give us more light, but that He retracts the light that has already been given. We lose the light. We lose the understanding. We lose the fellowship. We lose the grace of God's enrichment in our lives. We become impatient. We become unsanctified. And we turn away from God. And it's so easy for us to do. But... You know, I have a feeling that a lot of people are just on the wrong road. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to righteousness. And that, that narrow way, that righteous way is the way of grace. It is the way of faithfulness. It is the way of commitment. But the broad road, the wide road, is the road of works that think, well, as long as, as I'm not as bad as I used to be, at least I'm, you know, and I can point to myself and tell you how wicked the lifestyle I used to live was. And now, because I'm doing better, at least I'm not who I used to be. Therefore, I'm okay with God. Right? Wrong? No, that's not right. That's not right. As long as we are not striving and struggling against the flesh every day, we are living in sin. A sinful lifestyle. It is not enough just to say, well, I'm doing better than I used to. I'm do- uh, in, the, in the scales, the balance of the scales of sin and holiness, I'm doing better than I'm doing worse. So therefore, I punched my ticket for heaven and I'm good to go. My friend, that's stinking thinking. Until we realize that a life of Christianity is a life of devotion to a God who is devoted to us. If He is faithful to me, then that faithfulness to me does a work in my heart that causes me to have a desire to be faithful to Him. Here, what the Apostle says to the Thessalonians and to the Philippians, it says, Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. That means that you don't do it. That if God is faithful to us, He illuminates, regenerates, wakes us up, draws us to Himself, saves our soul. Faithful is He, God, that calls us into salvation. Then it is He who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of us, does it. He convicts us. He will let us not let us be satisfied with a lackluster Christianity. Faithful is He that called you into salvation, that now that He lives on the inside of you, He also will do what He has called you to do. But in Philippians, He puts it like this. Chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, 
both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Boy, that's a mouthful. Did you hear that? It is God which calleth you both to will and to do. God works in me, in my heart, in my mind, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, both for me to will, not only to do, but to will. I will not do what I do not will. <laughs> you understand? That it is God that moves my heart and gives me the desire to be faithful to Him in my life. If you have no desire to be faithful to God, how do you know that you have God at all? Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth's not in Him. Let's pray. Father, we do love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy, for the opportunity again to be here in Your house with Your people, to study Your Word, to fellowship with You. Thank You, Lord, for being here with us, for moving in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives, our church. God, we beg You. We plead with You to move in our nation. God, help us to turn, to repent away from sin. God, that we might be found faithful, that we might truly be one nation under God. Lord, we'll give you and you alone the praise and the glory for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.